Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. So if we dig back to when we got the positive pee on the stick test, Mm -hmm. what are the top recommendations or pieces of advice that you would give moms through pregnancy kind of as like a 101 put it on their radar so that they can like really so like literally the moment you find out you're pregnant manage constipation manage your energy and like manage nausea like I think for first trimester that's the big the big thing so squatty potty is huge mm-hmm. during pregnancy. Squatty potty, maybe time. magnesium, like maybe some sort of magnesium supplement, fi- looking at your fiber intake. Looking Lots at of water. Your, looking at your prenatal and looking at if it's, if it's loaded with iron, then we need to be maybe taking some countermeasures to preventing the constipation that that creates. Maybe even some like gentle abdominal gentle like just like massaging abdomen because I feel like a lot of the pains and discomforts and bladder stuff that comes up in that like early weeks is majorly hormone shifts but constipation then just makes everything worse yeah pelvic floor wise and even core wise right because like some of that early bloating some of that early um, just sort of like heaviness is isn't because things have really changed inside your body yet it's that our digestive system is slowed down that we're increasing blood volume so rapidly our hormones are going crazy and so if we can manage that I feel like that even for me was big for for feeling nauseous and feeling sick was like if I was constipated I was way more way more nauseous and would throw up way more morning sickness and that is is I don't know if there's any links specifically to that but that was my personal experience was like, okay, if I can have regular good poops, my pelvic floor is going to be happy and my, I'm going to feel a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, as far as nausea, I felt like peppermints were good for me, like at work, if I was getting nauseous, but eating like small amounts frequently was the key for me. Like if I went too long, game over. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like the, the prenatal, the prenatal nutritionist, and Mama Stay Nutrition um, are two good follows for different tips and tricks on, on that kind of stuff as well to yeah, help with getting the right nutrition, right nutrients in those early weeks that will also keep your pelvic floor happy, right? Yeah. And as far as like activity with the fatigue and just feeling... I mean, your whole world is rocked, right? Like everything, your intentions are changing, your 
your whole mindset is like on this pregnancy now, but kind of tapping into how you're feeling. So even though you feel like heavy and crappy and fatigued, maybe just like breath work or light movement to like keep you almost like give you a little bit more energy. Cause if you do lighter mobility stuff, a lot of times that'll increase your energy versus like if you go all out and just like, you know, um, go over the top that a lot of times drains you and you feel even more tired afterwards. So, um, Mm -hmm. getting some gentle mobility instead of just either going too much or too little can help keep Mm -hmm. you going. Yeah. I think if, I think in that first trimester, if you're overall feeling, feeling well, there isn't really any reason to change what you're doing drastically if you don't feel like you need to if you are a runner and running is still feeling good if you're you like to lift uh, I think usually the recommendation is you kind of bring it down to like 80 percent and then use like breathlessness as a benchmark and like for me I would get in, in first trimester early super out of breath before I was pregnant with Cam I was doing hot yoga probably like every more than once a week And like, literally I peed on the stick and went to a hot yoga class and was like gasping for air. Yeah. Cause all that blood (laughs) volume, like your, I was like, your heart's working so hard. Why can't I do this? And so being aware of those things, not necessarily that anything bad is happening, but yeah, being able to, to be aware of that, I think is. I would encourage the mind shift away from like, I need to walk or run this many miles, or I need to work out this many minutes, or I need to lift this much weight and shift that to be like, how do I feel, you know, cause you, you're going to get real frustrated and discouraged if you like start comparing like, oh, well, I just ran that minute time mile, like the other week or whatever. It's not the same, you know? So if you shift your goals to just continue being active and working on not having those hard concrete goals, I think it's less frustrating. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think really, if you do have very specific goals for your fitness uh, throughout your pregnancy, and then immediately into your postpartum. So say you are a high level CrossFit athlete and your goal is to return back to competition very quickly after you have it, have the baby is that that is a case where you need to be, ha- you need to have a team in place, mm-hmm. right? Like for the example I give is like, yeah, like Serena Williams was back playing tennis very soon after giving birth at a very high level. She has a trainer that is exclusively works with her tennis coach that exclusively works with her nutrition, like all of these things that are giving her individualized one-on-one support, like through that entire process. So the the goal and the intention is a little bit different but again not to say that we can't have exercise and fitness goals throughout a pregnancy and and postpartum but it's like okay if we're gonna make this goal let's make sure that we have all of these different systems in place in order to to support that yeah for sure um and then not waiting to find a PT. So this is like thinking of pregnancy and how you progressively get bigger as the baby grows. I think like I tell people to kind of harness, like work, work those like rib mobility, breath work, like um, trying to maintain that strength and positioning as long as you can. Cause if you just like start 
your third trimester and you've done nothing up to then. And not to say you can't start, you can start whenever, um, but the more you can like connect and control your body, well, oh, the better yeah. off you'll be later. Like, before you're having problems. Right. Before. Like before, <laughs> Preventative. before you're feeling like trash <laughs> and in order to continue to feel good and feel comfortable throughout the entire throughout the entire pregnancy. Yes, I 100% agree that pregnancy does not have to be painful. Mm -hmm. Pregnancy does not have to be uncomfortable. You don't have to be in pain. You don't have to be peeing your pants. Your back doesn't have to hurt. Your your legs don't have to be hurting. You don't have to have, you know, varicose veins sometimes are a bit genetic, but like those things are not a requirement of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so I think what happens a lot with perinatal physical therapists who kind of work in this world is that we'll see people they'll come in once they're in excruciating pain, like they can't even lift their leg, they, their back and their hips are hurting so badly that they can't function. It's like the solutions are the same solutions that we would have come to three months ago or that the potentially because your, our body is now just exaggerating these patterns as we get bigger. Mm -hmm. And so had we maybe addressed some of these things early before we're super uncomfortable, we we might not have ever got to that point of being super uncomfortable. And, and I think something that's really interesting to me is sort of fetal position and baby's position and mom's position and that how that can have a relationship to how birth goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm very slow when I'm working with clients to, to make any sort of promises about, okay, you know, we get, uh, when our body's in good alignment and our body feels good, if baby's in good position, you know, that's set going to set us up for success. I'm not going to promise that birth is going to be easy or, or, you know, things are going to go smoothly because birth is unpredictable. But anecdotally, we, you know, doulas and midwives and, and we see this happening time and time again of like mom's in good position, baby's in good position. Mom has all of these tools and this awareness and things go well. Yeah. And so a great resource for that is spinningbabies.com. They have some daily activities you can do. They have a lot of great information on like baby mapping and knowing where your baby's at. Really interesting stuff. Um, and I, I use that a lot with all three of my pregnancies. Yeah. Do you feel like with your, with Elsie, did you do more PRI or did you do more spinning yeah. babies? Well, I was yeah. seeing Jen at the time of getting pregnant mm -hmm. with Elsie. So mm -hmm. I shifted over more to PRI, but I still like the inversion stretch or activity. was like amazing. <laughs> I did it all the time. So finding a PRI therapist can be really beneficial as far as um, finding more balance in your body. But the more control, not control, the more connection and awareness you have, that's like, no matter who you are, that's going to positively impact whatever kind of labor and delivery you have, you know, like whether it's like just a perspective thing or a pain management thing, or just feeling like you're in control and empowered, I think is a really big deal. So I like, one thing I have my pregnant moms do is use pooping as like a labor prep. So your pelvic floor and your diaphragm should be moving in the same direction, except for <laughs> pooping and birthing where you don't want your pelvic floor 
um, contracting or lifting or shortening with your exhales, you want it to maintain in that like lengthened position, because if you tighten the hole, it's going to be harder to push things out. Right. <laughs> so I'll have them like, like practice that breathing where you're inhaling, lengthening your pelvic floor, but then on the exhale, you kind of use that rib closure and a little bit of hug from your abs to keep that pressure going downward. So I think like things like that, like your PT can teach you that gives you more awareness and participation in your labor prep versus going to a provider being like, oh, I have pelvic girdle pain or I have this and, oh, that's normal. <laughs> Just wait till after pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. The labor prep, the, I think in a childbirth education class, oh, talk huge. About, they don't talk about though. They don't talk about the pelvic floor really. No, they don't. They don't but... talk about the core system really. I had a client reach out last week saying, oh, in my childbirth education class, they said, if I do any movements that cause doming, that I should absolutely stop that movement. And I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> you're 37 weeks. Some doming with movement is going to happen. Like you're, everyone has diastasis at this point of their pregnancy. That doesn't mean that we need to panic or just lay on the couch all day. It just means we need, you know, to learn how to manage that that rib cage movement, manage that abdominal tension and, uh, and she's like, okay, because <laughs> like, she's like, well, anytime I sit up, I, you know, it dumps a little bit or, and, and we, you know, we talked about the difference between soft and hard toning. And, yeah. yeah. Like taking a birth class there, that's going to vary widely as far mm -hmm. as like the type of birthing class and what your resources are, but there are a lot of online classes. And I really did. I really do like mama stay fits birth mm -hmm. class that I took with my friend when I was supporting her labor last year, but I contribute taking our, our we took a 10 week birthing class. It was a Brio class. So it was once a week for 10 weeks. I swear that is like the number one thing that and having a doula set me up for success. So what was, took what was big feeling. on the Bria? What was big on the Bria that you felt like was super helpful? Just like we went over everything, like all the pros and cons of interventions, birthing positions, all the things they do to baby after and why the stages of labor, what to expect. Like it was just really empowering to know what to expect. Cause if you go into labor, mm -hmm. not knowing like, Oh, active labor or like pre, you know, early labor, you're going to feel like a rock star <laughs> and then active labor, your things are going to get intense. And then you're going to transition and feel like <laughs> you're dying. World is ending. Yeah. <laughs> so just like knowing what to expect was so helpful versus um, otherwise you're at the hands of whoever's with your birth, like whatever bias and perceptions your doctor or midwife or whoever has, you're at the mercy of them. If you don't know, you know, if you don't have a base of knowledge, like going in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was so, me. <laughs> that <laughs> was my first, oh my gosh, I knew nothing. I just figured like, I'm healthy. I'm active. I, and, and really at the end of the day, things that I perceived later as being traumatizing were like the standard, you know? Mm -hmm. And because I, maybe because I did, wasn't aware of what the standard was and I wasn't aware of what my options were. Um, it was very confusing. The whole thing was very confusing and yeah, led to a lot of 
I don't know what the right term is, processing that had to be done in order to, to realize that this is really, this is what happens to people all the time. And then made me so angry yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that, it, that it had, it, this needs to be better and this can be better. So a really good book to read is the Ina May book. What is it called? Mm-hmm. Childbirth or uh, Ina May? It's called Born Ina to May, uh, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. Ina May. I read that one the second time. Didn't read that the first time. Ina May's, <laughs> I, Ina May's that Guide was like, to Childbirth. That was the one book I read completely. And after reading that, I felt like way more uh empowered and less fearful about birth and again you said this too is surrounding yourself with positive birth stories and not letting those negative stories sink in and and scare you um because there's so many positive stories out there so podcasts that what is it the evidence-based birth podcast has a bunch of great birth stories on it oh yeah i'm a humongous fan of birth stories and yeah, the birth hour. So the only book I read <laughs> in my first pregnancy was uh, this super old essential exercises for the childbearing year book. I love it. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, my gosh. So it is written by a physical therapist. But wasn't it written in like the 80s, 90s? Yeah. Let me see what year this was published. I think there are updated versions of this book and really Elizabeth Noble is cited as you know being a pioneer in the women's health physical therapy world but I'm going to show you some of these yeah 95 was this uh 95 yeah so and resources back then I mean as far as PT were pretty limited because didn't pelvic floor PT kind of start in the late 80s early 90s yeah yeah like the pictures are so funny no (laughs) I like a naked body I love it (laughs) it's a lot of like no yes no yeah I think one of the big changes as you become a mom and this happens I think a little bit more with each kid is that you really start to learn that you have to trust your instinct and intuition versus listening to all that hard advice that like, this is good. This is bad. This works. This doesn't, you know, cause there's never one answer for everybody. And I think that journey of really researching and finding what works for you leads to a lot of growth as far as your confidence in being a mom and just like overall character development is like no that doesn't work for me (laughs) this works for me yeah right yes that is huge and I think that's when when creating programs and creating online resources I think that's like the hesitation a lot of times is like well this is what works for me this is what I found to be really helpful and maybe you will also find this really helpful but in a case of this then blah 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 in the case of this, then blah, 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 blah. In the case of this, then blah, blah, blah. And so then it becomes this, like, it. then it's, then you're providing individualized care. Right. The goal was for it to be sort of this online resource. But, but I think, yeah, like, totally in terms of childbirth, Ed, just getting all that information is, is just essential. 
Yeah. Uh, just I'm, like, yeah, like what are what are they monitoring for? What are all these nurses for? What you know, all that stuff is good. What is the role that your OB is actually gonna play? How often are you gonna see them? You know, those kinds of things um are also helpful. Oh, you know what? I we were talking about pushing and pooping and stuff. So mm-hmm. something that when I was um giving birth to Robert, um one of the nurses, she was like, think about pushing the out the front. Cause I think I had a, I don't like, I really only pushed like for real, like three times I think with him, but like literally from when she said that it was because I think I was practice had practiced so much, like feeling the back of my pelvic floor relax, but really the, which is important, but the baby comes out your vagina. And so it was sort of, okay. I had to think about pushing more, like instead of from a poop that's more back here, like back in the back, it was pushing more kind of to the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, a cue that I've heard is like, imagine you're pushing out a tampon or pushing out your like a cup, right? So it's you're not bearing down and pushing it down, but you again, you're like that inhale and lengthen, and then the exhale pressure down is not coming to your butt anymore so much as like the middle or to the front. Um, right. I thought that was that just popped into my head because there was a top organic process. (laughs) Oh, another, like if you have the resource, the resources for it, a doula can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we think of it like a doula helping the mom, which they absolutely do. But I think doulas helping the partner support the mom is crucial because a lot of like partners just have no, they, I mean, they'd feel like they're in the back seat because you're the one pregnant. You're the one going to all the appointments. You're the one, you know, and they're just kind of like along for the ride. And then I feel like they, they don't know how to help sometimes. So I think a doula is really, really valuable to not only support both of you, but to be your voice of reason during like the, the intense parts of labor when you're not thinking clearly and you're like freaking out or, you know, hopefully you're not freaking out, but yeah. I think like if you know someone who's first time or second time or eighth time mom, that's like, Oh, I'm not going to spend the money on the doula, like get together with your friends and that get that for them. It is just makes such a difference. Like, yes, some of the the skills and the tools that a doula has can be very, very important. But for me personally, it was like just the comfort of knowing that someone is there for you and someone is supporting you and supporting your, your partner and is going through this with you. Like that was worth all the money in the world. Yeah. That was worth every single penny and and more because the Um, nurses are not going to be there with you all the time they're going to be coming in and out because they have other things to do and people to see so I think sometimes we go in with the perception of like oh well the nurse will be there like she can help but they they are not going to be there the whole time with you so Mm -hmm. and even if you're having a home birth really your home birth midwife also has other yeah isn't necessarily I think they do are more active but it's not it's not necessarily that they're going to be actively assisting your entire birth process potentially. Um, and so, yeah, even in the cases of, of home birth that you have a home birth, birth um, midwife, maybe a home birth attendant and your doula and your team and really, or really just building whatever team feels good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
what the pandemic showed us early in the pandemic was that when, when women are birthing unsupported alone is that that is not that is not ideal um no yeah yeah I cannot I how brave those women are um is is crazy my good friend had a baby in June 2020 and like they didn't know if her husband was going to be allowed to come or not like first time first baby like I can't I can't no like that's a non-negotiable for me right yeah I and and (laughs) technically doulas were not supposed to be coming to my uh to be at my be able to come to my birth it was supposed to be one support person but we uh there was so much happening and we were in such a, a rush that the, the nurses were just like <laughs> yeah but I feel like at where I had gave birth to Robert there there was a a noted difference in the attentiveness of the nursing staff night and day yeah postpartum yeah. in pregnancy and in postpartum smaller hospital less maybe less going on that day who knows but my first was in a bigger hospital and I don't remember the nurses coming in a lot at all at all and then my second two were at a small very small hospital there were like four maternity rooms (laughs) and like it was it was super small but the nurses were amazing so yeah kind of doing research on wherever you plan to give birth but to recap Mm-hmm. I know we can manage constipation. <laughs> yeah. Find a big. PT mm-hmm. to teach you childbirth class if you're mm-hmm. able. Mm-hmm. Do your research on your providers in your place of birth. And if able and wanted, find a doula. Mm-hmm. Um, I found I found really listening. So listening to the oh the yes. birth podcast mm-hmm. birth stories helped me determine like what was that I what was the ideal situation where was the ideal end of pregnancy and the ideal birth situation that I wanted and then was it then formulated that in my mind and didn't hold cling on to that with no understanding of the, the other variables and things that could happen but I don't think there's anything wrong with curating in your mind what is your optimal birth experience. Right. With the caveat that birth is unpredictable. Right. So you're still armed with all the other information, but you can still, still have in mind what would be ideal. And then, yeah, have in mind what is ideal. I think this is the difference between my first birth and my second birth. I had in mind what I thought would be ideal, but I didn't know none of the preparation to make that happen. (laughs) Right. Where in the second, second time I knew what I wanted. And I also knew all of the things that I needed to do, which was pelvic floor PT, work with a doula, childbirth education, picking my providers very carefully, picking that birth team very carefully. And then that happened more readily. But also, even if things had not gone the way anticipated, you're still armed with all that information, all the empowerment to be flexible if those plans change. And so- the overall theme here is to be empowered to be the primary decision maker in your own birth and mm-hmm. and take the front seat so that you can drive the path you want to drive. Yeah. Good deal. Cool. Yay. Know your bush. Love your love bush. your bush. Share the bush. Share the bush you love. You 
communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. 